Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we go on more story dates in our version of Love Connection with special guest photographer Angie Smith. A year ago, Angie began a project focusing on love stories during COVID-19, combining photography and interviews. As part of our season, Be In The Game, we are joining Angie Love Connection style to meet some of the people from her project. But first, we hear a spontaneous story slam from one of our audience members. It's game time and it's story time. Hi, I'm Nicole Forrest. Hi, Nicole. Nice to meet you. And are you here with us in Boise? I am. Yeah. Great. So take it away and share your love connection story. My husband's work takes him to many far off strange places, but not often desirable vacation destinations. So when his contract took him to India, it seemed like a once in a lifetime opportunity. He texted a photo to me of him sitting at an open air cafe in front of a green painted wall that was exquisitely painted with dancers amid tigers and lions. A perfect meal is in front of him. The centerpiece is a whole stuffed lobster swimming in crimson red curry. The table is set for four and my wine glass is directly across from his. Although I secretly worried that we were spreading ourselves too thin, our travel agenda covered a lot of space. People encouraged me to throw caution to the wind and just go see the country. And when is there not some kind of flu virus floating around. I assured myself after all the rigmarole to get my family there to meet him that I would still find myself practicing yoga on a hot beach, my hands intertwined in the sea breeze, my children playing in the surf, my husband waiting after practice for me at an open air cafe with a pre-midi treats. Overnight, he texted me to say that they're worried about coronavirus. They're going to start closing borders. As his coworkers left one by one, I suppressed nightmarish fears of him stuck in a military facility or quarantined in a hotel for six months. This could have happened. <clears throat> the day before the borders closed, he got a call from the airlines to take the last flight. And he did take that, during which my mother and brother-in-law, who's a physician, called me to encourage me to quarantine him away from the family. While I couldn't quite bring myself to pariah him, we did take precautions. I used his pickup truck to retrieve him from the hospital, excuse me, to retrieve him from the airport to avoid contaminating our family car or exposing a cab driver. Before the children embraced him at home, I forced him into a hot, soapy shower, even after his 30 hours of anxiety-ridden layovers and flights. I sanitized his clothes in the wash, and I boiled his shoes. He did pass out in the bed, and the next day, my new sunset-colored buff headwear became a ad hoc grocery store face mask. <laughs> <clears throat> But an interesting thing happened during this time. We realized we had become so busy with our daily lives that we hadn't really taken the time to determine the places our family most wanted to see. We hadn't reserved that quintessential overnight train ride 
clanking down the tracks through the fields and countryside of India, though we said we would do this, we always said we would do this thing. And although I had imagined the wells of India, the steppe wells, until I spoke to him, I had no idea of the significance. The verdant green surfaces um, are rife with life. And the steps going down to these giant pools of water are like an inverted ziggurat, where people have gone for thousands of years to get personal respite, resources, and connect with their community. Now that I know, I'll make sure that we see several and well off the beaten track. <clears throat> when the hustle and bustle of our daily lives ground to a halt, we finally reviewed pictures from my husband's trip. <clears throat> a monkey sways and trots across trains and um, lanes in front of a police station. A tuk-tuk with hand-painted patterns and corbels sways down the street like an elephant. And a family of five smiles as they mount and ride a single motorcycle. In other photos, my husband dashes into tourist stops before getting on his plane. And the inscription of the bureaucratic offices that he goes to reads, a liberty will not descend to a people. A people must raise themselves up to meet liberty. How did I miss this the first time? In his final photo, it shows him shopping at the market to get presents for the family. Um, he got soapstone figurines for the children and a um, embroidered pashmina for me. And he also for himself got a hand sketch picture of Krishna and Radha gazing upon each other, which is in fact a depiction of the ultimate union. Our conversations have shifted from logistics to purpose. Our kids really understand that this kind of thing might only happen once in a lifetime, never twice the same way. And for my part, I am more than touched to realize just how much he thinks about us while he is away and how desperately he wants to share that with me. It's precious and it will be well worth the wait. Oh, thank you, Nicole. Thank you very much. So Angie, who are we going to have our next date with? So our next date is with our featured musician, Jennifer. Oh, I'm acting surprised. Oh. Multi-talented. Multi um, it was only at, in, in the midst of our interview did I find out that she was also a musician. Um, so Jennifer and I met, it's been just under a year and we met because I had reached out to her because I saw her post uh, a Facebook posting in a mutual aid group. And I reached out to her directly and asked if she would like to be a part of the project. And we met uh, at a really beautiful spot by the Boise River with her son. And we did a portrait and we did an interview. And that was just the beginning. So I'm really so honored that she's here tonight to share her story. And I'm just so excited about everything that's happened for her in the last year. Great. Jennifer Whitaker. <laughs> oh. 
So this last year, this last year has been crazy. And it already, before COVID, before anything, it already kind of started crazy. Um, I moved here to Boise from Winnemucca, Nevada, almost two years ago. March 9th will be two years that I've been here in Boise. And, and I came with the aspirations of expecting it to still be the same Boise I fell in love with 15 years ago and, and affordable and just expansive nature. And it's still the same, but affordable it is not anymore. And so we spent the first year and a half of living here in living in my truck in my little my luckily I have a truck so that we have plenty of space to to spread out with me and my dog and our kid and my kid and we lived in our truck and that it was not an easy time but for me it was pretty familiar because before having a kid I chose the the transient life I chose to travel the country and live in small vehicles and small spaces and really explore and have fun before settling down and go into the grind and doing all the things that my family wanted me to do right away um so this was all it was new with a kid, that's a huge difference. That's that throws a huge curveball in things because you have to pay more attention. You have to be closer to bathrooms and closer to amenities and find spots that are safer. Whereas by myself, I'd park anywhere and I'm just fine because I'm secure within myself and safe. And I have a dog that you wouldn't want to break into that truck with. <laughs> um, but so yeah, we. When COVID hit, when everything shut down, COVID hit, I was working full-time. I was working, well, almost full-time. We were just starting to build back up. I was working at the Riverside Hotel as a banquet cook, and, and we had just gone through our January, February time. Where it was super, super slow and super hard. Money was already tight. I was within a couple days of getting paid. My money was gone and I was having to utilize resources like going and eating at Andrade's and multiple times in this last year. I've, you guys have fed my family. And uh, yeah. And so when COVID came, I didn't know what to do. You know, we had just finally gotten out of the truck and into a hotel because it was too cold and it was too hard. And my son just couldn't handle it anymore. He wanted a space to be able to play and he wanted a space to be able to sleep and not be right on top of me while sleeping because in the truck we had our close quarters and it was tight. Um, and so COVID hit and there goes everything all the stability that I knew because I only my final paycheck before being laid off was only for about 12 hours and out of that 12 hours 70% of it went to go pay for my benefits that I couldn't use because I didn't have any money to go see any doctors or anything and pay the copay and so I was left kind of high and dry and you know it was hard. It was hard having to think about breaking that promise that I made to my son that we would never have to live in the truck again, that we would be okay, and that we would move forward into a better life. And then suddenly, as I'm picking up my last paycheck, it dawns on me, why am I sitting here slaving, worrying? Because 
I have so many skills. I have so many skills in all of my traveling the world, the country, not I wish the world, but the country from all the way from South America up into Canada and everything. I've picked up farming skills. I've been a chef for 15 years. I've been fencing, construction, electric, electrical, everything. You name it, I can build it and I can work on it and I can, I can do it. Like, and if I don't know how to do it, I know how to use YouTube to figure out how to do it. And so... In the middle of the night, I woke up one night stressing. Well, I didn't really sleep much, so stressed, a lot of stress, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of skipped meals, a lot of everything. And finally, racking my brain to figure out what I'm going to do, I finally came up with a plan, and uh, Treehouse Farming was born. In the midst of everything and the hardship that has gone on, I used the hardship that I've gone through in my life already before, the constant struggle from a child raising myself, basically, and trying to be the black sheep of the family, not fitting in, and had just a constant life of struggle. I finally decided that, you know, I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of, of being in pain. I'm tired of stressing, tired of everything. And I want to help out my community at the same time because... If it wasn't for this community, I probably we don't wouldn't have been as easy to to get around because you know like with Angie and the love stories, nineteen love stories that came from a mutual aid page, and we ate off of that mutual aid page a lot, and a lot of people gathered together to help us pay for a hotel to keep that promise to my son, and then I came up with the idea for Treehouse Farming, which where I teach people how to grow their own food because food insecurity is a huge, huge problem, you know, especially with COVID and all the grocery prices going up, the gas prices going up, everything going up while people's money in their pockets is going down. And so I built my business and, uh, and, you know, teach people how to grow their own food and not just in, not just grow their own food, but grow with their food and grow and plant with intentions in just about any living situation, even living in a vehicle, you can still grow your own food. And so that has been my mission this last year was is to reach out and help people and give back to the community as much as it has given to me. And a lot of growth, a lot of a lot of love has been learned. I have never been really one to connect with other people. I've been a lone ranger, a lone wolf for a long time because myself is the only thing that I've ever known that I could trust, that I could believe in, that I can count on every single day. And to have a community that I didn't know, people I didn't know, meet so many people I didn't know, step forward and, and take care of us and make sure that we were taken care of. You know, being a single mom is it's not easy, especially without having a family to be there to back up for support and doing it completely on my own. And so in this last year, I've learned the love for this community and the reason I moved here, the reason that I will build here and keep growing here and a lot of love for myself to learn to be gentle with myself because as hard as it is, I've got this, you know, I've got this every day. I still get up every day. I still I go to work. My schedule's a lot more flexible now, which is kind of nice to not be punching a clock anymore and just go and pick up and work on gardens whenever and and help people and look for opportunities every day to help out the community and get through everything. Because together, that's the only way that we're going to get through this is to connect and unite together and love together and love 
is the most powerful force on earth. It is, it, it, you know, you look at frequencies and it goes at a higher frequency than a negative feelings and negative emotions. And so I'm just really pushing to get this community love going and help everybody work together and, uh, and learn to love myself and love my family and appreciate my family. I'm so appreciative. We've got into an apartment last July um, because of Angie's story that she posted about us. Somebody reached out and through the programs that I've already tried to utilize on my own and had no such luck, I was able to get somebody to speak up for us. And within within weeks of, of the story posting, we got moved into a home with help from, from our navigator and help from catch housing and, and help. And with our community help, we've been able to stay in our home and be happy and have our own bedrooms and have a playground full of kids for my son to go and play with instead of being by himself and all the time and, and having to use simple toys to play with because we didn't have room. And now we all have room and over abundance of love and business has surpassed the 200% growth mark in 10 months. And 90% of that business is barter. I've refused to turn away anybody just because they can't pay because everybody deserves to eat and everybody deserves to feel loved and have that compassion. And just, you know, just because money is tight doesn't mean that anybody is unworthy of love and compassion. And uh, yeah, and this next year, I foresee a whole lot more growth and with opportunities like this to get out and speak the story and speak of strength and speak of love and connect with the community, only more growth can come from here. And I look forward to connecting with Boise and getting more and more personal with Boise and loving everybody. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I do, which is actually quite fitting. I didn't pick this featured song, but the the story behind it, and it's titled The Story, um, is all about unconditional love, unconditional love from the universe, unconditional love from God, unconditional love from your soul for yourself, and, and that no matter what you're going through, you can always find love, and it will always be there to fill the wounds and and help you heal with love. Life has trained me for war And there's nothing I haven't been through before You can lay it all at my door This is what I have been training for 
Angie, I don't have, I'm not sure how much more my heart can grow. Uh, Just one more. Do you have, does everyone have it in you to hear one more love story? Yeah, you went, do you went on another date with somebody? Who, who did you go, who is this date with? Well, my last date was with another Angie who, it isn't very often that I meet another Angie, um, and her husband, Marcus, and they have a very special, very long, many chapters of a love story. Um, and they're going to give us a special, um, a special rendition of that. That is 
is sort of encapsulates these seminal moments of their love story. Wonderful. And Angie and Marcus are joining us from their studio, their home. Uh, here they are live on the bench, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Angie and Marcus, thank you for being here tonight. I know you've been teaching classes, I think, all day. Uh, so we've extended your uh, performative time today uh, to share your love connection with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Jody and Angie. This is great, thank you. <laughs> so uh, let's see, um, my name is Angie Marianti, but that hasn't always been my name. My name is Marcus Marianti, and that hasn't always been my name. So we're gonna go back in time about 20 years ago. So Marcus and I are from the same small hometown, uh, but even though we grew up in the same area, we somehow never crossed paths. We knew of each other. We both played music and knew that the other was musicians, but we never got to meet. Um, I used to actually go see Marcus's band play at our local coffee shop, and he was a drummer and he would play with his shirt off. <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> Yeah, and Andy uh, would play in the orchestra in the high school, and they would they would uh, kind of play in the auditorium. So I would sneak into the auditorium and watch them uh, play. So we finally had our very first uh, class together uh, the last semester of our senior year before graduation. <laughs> and uh, Marcus uh, sat behind me, and he was always drumming, and he would drum on the back of my chair and shake my desk. That's how we met. Yeah. And she would always look back, and of course we would be adorable and, and things like that. So we'd share a look, you know. Yeah. And we became uh, like project partners in this government class. And, you know, we would hang out in the library and do our projects. And Angie even got to come over to the house and um, do some projects, which was cool. I got to show her my room. I had like a drum set in my room, and we looked through records. You know, it was just very kind of cliche, but awesome. Right. I, I tried to impress him with my knowledge of Led Zeppelin. That, that kind of thing. So the last time we ever saw each other um, in that era was uh, actually on graduation night. And uh, at that time, Marcus wrote in my yearbook, call me and we'll jam and make it big. Yeah. So after graduation, I moved around the Northwest a bit um, for work, just living in different places and working. And a couple of years went by, and I don't know if folks remember the beginning of social media apps, the MySpace. So each of our the MySpace. each of our bands had a MySpace, so we were able to reconnect to that. I sent Angie a message. And so I was in a computer lab at Boise State uh, doing some homework on a Saturday because I was really cool and saw this message pop up from Marcus and I was just floored because I'd actually tried to get in touch with him over the years, but I didn't know how to track him down. I didn't know where he moved to or, or anything. So he moved to Portland and we started emailing and talking on the phone and two weeks later he drove from Portland over to Boise to visit me and we've been together ever since. Until tonight. Ah! Oh, no, that's, that's Sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, after about five months of dating long distance, we got our first apartment in the North End here in Boise, back when you could, you know, afford rent <laughs> in the area. And Marcus and, moved over. Yeah, I moved over. And we started just kind of combining our lives. We were in our early 20s at that point. So just hanging with friends, playing music, you know, that whole scene. 
and we used to have these like house parties, just these get-togethers, and we really we really like to eat and drink. So we would do like a potluck, and everyone would bring a dish, and we would we'd just hang out with our friends, and inevitably we'd start playing music. And even though we were musicians, we we didn't have a lot of musician friends, and so we would kind of I guess force our friends to play with us. So we'd just hand them an instrument and say, um, "Here's how this song goes, and here's how you can play. Like you can just use one finger. It's no big deal. Here's here's how you can play along with us." Or, or we'd hand people like some spoons, and they'd keep the time and and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was great. So it, they kind of became infamous. We'd have these hoot nannies, these kind of music parties, and people would talk about them, and we kind of became known for in, in our little social circle of the people who would have this. And at, at the height of the hoot nannies, we we'd eventually moved up to the the bench here. Actually, the the Pettit group helped helped us get our house. <laughs> Yay! Uh, and uh, they uh, so we we started having these parties at our house. And at one point, we had a, a hoot nanny that had um, like forty people, and every single room of our house had a different jam session going and that was like one of my favorite memories because it was just this house just full of music and everyone was just so happy so it was it was just really fun a, a fun era for us mm -hmm. even uh, our wedding when we got married we we called the wedding the hoot nanny because it was just kind of this big party with all of our friends and you know music and dancing and food and it just became great and uh so, you know, we got married and then for our honeymoon we ended up going to Greece and Angie's family is Greek. So we've always wanted to go and check that out. So we, we wound up in this tiny little town on a peninsula right there on the sea. And uh, the town's name was Nikiti and it's supposed to be the honey capital of Greece. It's just surrounded by um, just these beautiful olive groves and forests and fields, just a lot of diversity there. And uh, it was just the perfect time of year to visit too because it was right before tourist season started. So the town was just empty with the exception of the, the locals there getting their shops and businesses ready. So Marcus and I would just wander around the town every day just eating and drinking. And once we had a fresh, um, it was like a sugared fig from this, uh, this restaurant. Um, and the owner said that his mother, um, or was it his grandmother? His grandmother uh, had picked it that morning and, and candied it. And just, just beautiful things like that were happening. Do you want to tell them about the honey shop? Yeah, so there was um, this kind of like honey shop ran by this uh, couple. And they, the, the gal, Marianthe, she would... Uh, be the storefront, you know, sell the honey and things like that, and then her husband would um, tend to the fields and the bees. And it was just such a cool little setup. And as Angie mentioned, it was pr uh, before all the tourist season, so everybody had time to kind of hang out and talk with us, and we'd see them every day. So we developed a relationship with these folks, and you know, would go there and just peruse the honey and put it on our, our bread every morning. And it was yeah, just fresh baked bread every morning from all, uh, all these different uh, like honey locations. Like they had pine honey and clover honey, and it was just such a, a beautiful like sensory experience. Yeah, I, I mean, it was everything. It was uh, just a, a great time in our lives, and we reminisce about this adventure all the time. Yeah. So I guess fast forward, then we get back to Boise and we're just kind of doing our thing, working our day jobs, playing music in the evenings. You know, we played in some kind of gigging bands and stuff at that point. And then Angie became pregnant. So we had our, our kid Felix. And it was a bit of a surprise, if you yeah. want to be honest. <laughs> and Felix... And our friends didn't have babies yet either, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was... We were kind of some of the first among our friend group at the time. And as people do sometimes when they have a kid, they reevaluate kind of what they want out of life and... And we were no different, and it became kind of, how can we help in our community? What can we do to help people? And 
one of the things we realized is we can empower people through um, showing them how to play music. Yeah, that was our favorite thing, and it was the thing that we were we were best at, you know, and it, it was the thing that made us happiest. And so when Felix, our baby, was born, um, that was back in 2013, uh, we just kind of had this, like, reawakening where we realized we needed to to live intentionally we couldn't just live day to day like we had been in our, our early 20s so we uh quit our jobs i know that doesn't sound very intentional <laughs> but we quit our jobs and we started a business uh called boise music lessons and our focus uh is uh, teaching people to play music with family and friends and uh playing through song so it, it became like our our big family adventure at, at that point uh, and we've been doing that ever since yeah so we had a lot of fun and then angie became pregnant again <laughs> and with felix he integrated into our lives really well he was just a pretty chill kid he was always kind of with us we used to, the baby carrying we just carry him around everywhere we called him party baby because you could strap him on and take him anywhere i remember our first tree fort that we ever played at, uh, wearing him at 3 a.m., uh, being like, am I a bad parent? <laughs> but he's just sleeping and he's ready to party, go to shows. Yeah, and he integrated our lives really well. And then our second kiddo, Emrys, our daughter, she was kind of the, the opposite of this, where, man, she came in, you know, Felix was born, like, in a birth tub in our kitchen with midwives and, you know, candlelights and Jeff Buckley playing in the background, just beautiful. <laughs> and Emrys was, like, as the birth tub was filling up, we, she was born on the floor of the living room, you know, and just it was just... entered into, life. Yeah, it took, like, an hour. Force. <laughs> yeah, so she's always just kind of been that, that change, you know, but... Once, once she came, it was the fourth member of the family band, and you know the whole dynamic just kind of changed in in an instant. Yeah, and it 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 just shifted everything for us. Like we, I always expected there to be a bigger shift when we became parents. You know, when Felix was born, but surprisingly, it was Emrys that kind of made us realize that we were like a family. You know, we, this is this is it. We're we're all here. We're all a team. Uh, you know, we've we've arrived. So it was, um, she was about three days old and had already rocked our world. And uh, the midwives came over to fill out the birth certificate for us. And they asked, uh, what is her name? And we said, oh, her name is Emrys. And then we got to the last name. And when Felix was born, so I guess backtrack a little bit to our wedding. When we got married, we were pretty cool with who we were uh, separately and also together. So we didn't change our, like, uh, you know, given names. Um, and then when Felix was born, it was like, well, um, it's you and me and we had a baby. So we just hyphenated our last names. It was kind of no, no big deal. But when Emrys was born, it felt like a little bit inauthentic. They said, what's her last name? And I, and I was like, oh, well, I guess Felix's hyphenated name, but it didn't feel like we were me and you and some kids <laughs> with a cobbled together name. It felt like we were a family and something had changed and that, uh, it was just wrong. So it, it started kind of nagging at me this this feeling that that we needed a, a family name. So I talked to Marcus and I'll let you take Yeah, it. so we had always mentioned the idea of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to change the, the family name so we, we would all have the same name, but what would it be? You know, it was always kind of the idea of like, if we can find something that would be perfect, that would really embody us, that's what we would change it to. So we, we started kind of just lightly talking about it a little bit and uh, one night I was laying in bed with little baby Emrys and I was thinking like, what is a time in our lives that was just perfect? And we had a perfect moment that I can go back to and feel at, at any time. 
and I thought back to like walking on the beach with Marcus in Greece and eating just the most delicious meals, talking to the most lovely people, smelling this beautiful honey. And I thought, Marianthi, the, the honey shop owner, that's that's the name. And I told Marcus and he said, yep, that's, that's the name. Yeah, we love the idea. I mean, they were a family business. They were doing what they could do, you know, what they were best at to help in their community. And it just they were uh, working together as a partnership and a team. Mm -hmm. So we decided to fill out the paperwork, and once we, everybody was ready, we went down to the courthouse and changed our names to be the same. It was something that represented us and something to allow us to kind of celebrate what the four of us meant. Yeah, and our, our love for each other and our, our just love for for this family that we had become over the you know this like twenty year journey together. So. Uh, I just want to reintroduce myself and say uh, I'm Angie Marianthi. And I'm Marcus Marianthi. And the four of us are the Marianthi family. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production by Stephen Baldessari. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.